Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 77th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in London, just off historic Abbey Road, detailing the adventures of an American expat here in London, and trying to outline the differences, show you how some bands make it in America, but they don't make it in the UK, or vice versa, or why is something popular in one place, but it's not popular in the other. It's one of those big mysteries. Sometimes it's a cultural thing, sometimes it's an A&R person dropping the ball, Sometimes the fact that they just didn't translate well to the video age. Sometimes it's, I don't really know why somebody makes it one place and doesn't make it someplace else. But if we know it and we like it, we might just talk about it here on the show. And of course, last week's show was a blast. Hanging out with the Shout It Out Loud cast guys, our Pantheon podcast brothers. We are a member of the Pantheon podcast network. About 100 great shows, all sorts of different genres of music. There's something out there for everybody. You can check them out at Pantheon Pods or PantheonPodcast.com. And we always like to say hi to Jay at The Hook Rocks because he has a cool rock show. We can say hi to Paul at Vintage Rock Pod. And he now has This Day Rocks. It's a daily seven or six minute show that we've been on a couple of times. And of course, to the Shout It Out Loud guys who have the best Kiss podcast in the world. Last week they were on talking about Kiss Revenge as it's coming up on its 30th anniversary here. Talking about listening to that in college, going to see that towards the first Kiss show that Jackson and I ever saw, and just reminiscing with those guys, cracking up, having a good time. They've got a great show. You've got to check that out. Also, a non-Pantheon brother, Neil Poole at Def Lep Pod. He's got the best Def Leppard podcast out there. He had us on his show last week. We were talking about a BBC documentary called Rock of Ages, which came out just after Hysteria was released when Steve Clark was still alive. It really, is, I think Neil calls it the definitive Def Leppard documentary to that point, certainly through 1988 or so. And it was always fun to talk to Neil. He's been on our show a couple times. Uh, so definitely check out Def Lep Pod if you want to hear that. This week I wanted to do something that kind of connected Shout It Out Loud cast and Def Lep Pod. And that's not the easiest thing in the whole world. And we've done four KISS shows. We've done three or two or three Def Leppard shows. So what are we going to do? But I came up with something that I think kind of meets them halfway in the middle. Shout It Out Loud guys are from Boston. And Def Leppard really made their name through the help of producer and engineer God, Mutt Lang. And in 1984, Mutt Lang recorded Heartbeat City with The Cars, which was a really big hit in America. It was recorded here in the UK at Battery Studios with Mutt Lang and was quadruple platinum in the US. But the song and the records alone don't tell the whole story. This was the age of MTV. MTV launched in August 1981, and by 1984, it was a huge part of the culture. And if you were going to be a hit in America, you had to be on MTV. And The Cars got that, or their management got that, somebody did. And they had a string of videos that were huge that were cutting edge at the time, got a lot of airplay on MTV, won some of their awards, and really kind of propelled them to be the sound of the mid-80s. From 84 through 86, you heard the cars a lot. 
and you heard a little bit of Rico Kasich there, one of the lead singers, their main songwriter and rhythm guitar player, kind of starred in those videos. It really shot his Q rating or, or made him really the most famous member of the band. We used to kind of share lead singer DBs with bass player Benjamin Orr. By the time they got to their fifth album, Heartbeat City, he was doing the majority of the singing and certainly on the big hits, except for Drive, of course. But we'll get into that here on the show. Now, of course, we want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can tweet us and DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf and at ActionJack72. You can let us know if we're doing great, if we're not doing so well. If there's something you want us to cover on the show, whether it be an album, a band, a DVD, a concert, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We love hearing from our listeners all around the world. So with that, folks, I want to take you back in time to 1984, when a young wolf, still kind of a wolf cub, growing up in the Midwest of America, Action Jackson growing up in New England, the Northeast, didn't know each other. But we both knew MTV, and we both knew the Cars, even though they had been around for six or seven years before this, this was our introduction to them. And songs like You Might Think, and Mad and drive the soundtrack to the summer of 1984 and to our lives at that point. So buckle up, because we're talking Heartbeat City by the Cars here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I was thinking Jackson, mm-hmm. because now, you know, just recently here in the last couple of weeks, we got to work with our buddy Neil from Def Lep Pod. Right. Talking about the uh, Rock, of, was it Rock of Ages. Uh, yes. Rock of Ages so. video on called. BBC, which is out now. And we got to work with the Shout It Out Loud guys. Right. So, you know, best kiss show on earth, our Pantheon pals. And guys who really uh, have shown us a lot of respect and love, uh, you know, over the years, like encouraging us on making our show better and to, to keep pushing and, and to have fun with it. And I think they're just, it's not just us. I think they're really good with their fans and their listeners in that respect. They they communicate well with them and they, you know, when something's funny or when someone's, uh, you know, needing to laugh, they deliver on it. It was, uh, that's what, that was what made it so much fun. It's like, you know, these guys may 
be on, but then maybe they're off with us. Like, no, no, man, they they were just having fun yeah. with us. Yeah, it was a great time. I was a little nervous about how it was going to go with both of them on there because they've got, I mean, one one is a force enough, but the two of them, but it was really smooth. It was. And it was fun to be with Neil. I mean, he's been on our show a couple times, but we had never been on his, really. And uh, anything we can do for him, I mean, both those guys, both those shows were shows that I listened to when we were just first building our show. Yeah. And and it's not just shows that I like, but it shows that I like admire, like, oh, look at the facts they know, or look at the rhythm in which they handle it. Look look at how they, you know, are the same each each week, you know, or whatever. So just getting to know them, like building the community we have through the Ugly American Werewolf in London, it's just, that's real, it's the highlight, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the... That's the real treat is getting to meet these other people who are who are like minded, but then not at the same time. And so you can have discussions about music. And you know, when we were talking to the shouted out loud guys, there were they can get along and be friendly, but they can totally disagree with different songs. Like, oh, that's a piece of crap. I can't believe you like that. Right. And yeah, to talk to them about stuff like that. Well, like I said. We, we could have been, when they were talking about sitting around in the dorm room with the Renna Center couches, I mean, we could have easily been there for that night. I mean, That's right. both in age and in content of material to talk about. So it is really interesting to meet these people. And then Neil, too, who lives on the other side of the earth, he he's a little bit younger. But again, we could talk to him for a million years also. Well, to me, he doesn't live on the other side of the earth. He lives just up north a bit. Well. But then I thought, all right, so where do we go from there, right? I mean, we, we, we've had, you know, our our favorite Def Lep pod and our, you know, one of our first real friends we've met doing this with Neil Poole recently. And then right after that, we have the shout out loud guys. Who we love, who have the best kiss podcast in the world. It's like, where do we go from there? And, and we kind of have been doing a lot of concert stuff lately. So I'm like, all right, if we're going to do an album, what are we going to do? It's summer coming up. You know, how do we gear up for summer? And I'm like, I got it. I got the perfect band and the perfect record. Uh, and that's Heartbeat City by the Cars because they are from Boston, just like our buddies on Shout It Out Loudcast. And it was produced by Robert John Mutt Lang, who's, of course, the reason for Def Leppard's... Ah, should I say he's the reason for Def Leppard's success? I hate to take it away from the boys, but without mm. him... They they never would have been what they are, right? And you figure that he he did, which I didn't know for a long time that he did high and dry and pyromania and hysteria. So yeah, I mean there, and that's why I think this is interesting because it, he brought, definitely brought his Mutlang magic to Heartbeat City. No doubt. But that this was the only record they worked with him on. That's right. So while. Maybe while Def Leppard brought in a thousand percent that he was the way to go. I don't know. I don't know why they decided to switch gears after this. Well, and you know, it's also got a bit of a UK connection here for the cars because they made their first, they made their first record, the cars here in the UK, someplace here in the UK, they made the cars. And then their next few albums they made in, in Boston, in New York, usually at the power station. Uh, I think they worked in LA for one of the records. They worked with Roy Thomas Baker for their first four albums, who is English, and he had an incredible career, dude. I mean, you know, worked with Free, worked with Nazareth, worked with Queen, right? Mm-hmm. On like yeah. Night at the Opera and Sheer Heart Attack and Queen 2, you know, big stinking records. Made the Cars first four. Did Journeys, Infinity and Evolution when they got Steve Perry into the band and started to become more pop-oriented. But look at some of these. Ron Woods, Give Me Some Neck. You did Head Games with Foreigner. Alice Cooper did the heavy metal motion picture soundtrack 
one of our very favorites. What was that show number four uh, for yes. us? Yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, right? Motley Crue's first record, you know, um, No Rest for the Wicked for Ozzy. So, I mean, this this guy has shaped a lot of what we listen to over the years. But yeah. it seemed that the Cars... Huh, so Cars had big success with their first album, and it had a lot of their big uh, original 70s hits on it, right? So, you know, it, it had... Uh, my best friend's girl on it. Of course, still a big one to this day for them. It had just what I needed. Well, that was their first one, right? Just what I needed. Yeah. Big one. And Good Times Roll. You know, all of these kind of hit the charts and you hear them on rock radio a lot. But, you know, they also have a few like You're All I've Got Tonight off that one. You know, you'll yeah. hear that on rock radio all the time. By, by Love. You, you've heard that one on the radio mm-hmm. plenty. Not to mention the famous. Movie in stereo, which if you've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know exactly which scene that song is in. You know, Brad, I've always thought you were cute. I can't, I can't not hear that song and think of that scene and rewind the scene again. I know, and I, when I hear it on the radio, it, it, it almost sounds like porno music to me, honestly. <laughs> because I, I just associate it so clearly with that. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. And I'm not the only one, I know. No, um, no, no, no. But what that comes out in 78, and it's pretty big. I mean, six platinum, 6X platinum in the yeah. U.S. That's unbelievable. Six million in sales and you know, double platinum in Australia and Canada, you know, around the world, they do really, really well. So like, okay, awesome, great. Now, Benjamin Orr at this point is singing about half the songs, maybe. And Enrico yeah. Kasich is singing about half the songs. But, you know, eventually over time, that changes a little bit, right? So they go to Candy O with a hot cover. And yes. Again, you know, they've got Let's Go. You know, I like the nightlife, baby. And it's all I can do. But it's not it's not as big as the first one. It's hard to figure, you know, to follow up the big one. It did have Dangerous Type, which I like. Yeah, that's, um, that's a big... I don't know. Was that a single? It was not. Yeah, it was okay. a radio hit. Yeah. But I mean, so it goes about 4 million in sales in the U.S. It's like, okay, well, that's still pretty good. But then they do Panorama in 1980. And although it's got... A couple of good songs on it. It doesn't do nearly as well. Touch and Go, yeah, that that did all right. But then the other singles, I think, were Give Me Some Slack, which I barely know, and Don't Tell Me No. Again, I don't really know that one. Yeah, the whole the whole second side of that record, I don't think that I could. I mean, if you played it for me, maybe, but no, nah. mm, yeah, no, you know. And I I think maybe it only just went platinum. So. Like, okay, we went six million to four million to one million. Uh-oh, what's what's going on here, guys? So they, they come back with Shake It Up in nineteen eighty one. And that's getting them kind of back on track. The title track's a pretty big hit for them. Um, Since You're Gone. I was just yeah. watching the video right before we came on here, you know. That was a big one for them. So you know, they're moving back in the right direction. I think this one maybe goes double platinum, something like that. So it's like, all right. We got a little traction here, but it's not quite its not quite where they want to be, right? Yeah, that, that's got to be tough for a band where you come out of the box super hot because you yeah. never think like, you ne- well, I don't think that you ever say, well, you know, there's going to be a drop off, fellas. We can't, we can't maintain this forever. No, you think, you know, if you sell four, that the next one's going to sell six and eight and on until infinity. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And it's, it's Rick Ocasek writing 
all the songs mm-hmm. with occasionally Greg Hawks, the uh, uh, the keyboard player. He usually got one co-write per album, and, and sometimes it was a B-side, but usually somewhere on side two, about the eighth or ninth track, you would get a Greg Hawks co-write in there, although moving in stereo was one of Greg's co-writes, so God bless him for that. <laughs> and thank you for that. And thank you for that. But see, then things started to change a little bit because, all right, they put out Shake It Up, It Does Better, but then MTV comes along, right? Mm-hmm. And then Rick Ocasek does a solo album called Beatitude, which I didn't recognize right. any of the songs off Beatitude. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. And so that's going to freak some of the cars out, you know, because it's like, all right, now he, here's our guy who sings half or most of our songs. He writes all of our songs. And now he wants to go off and do a, and do a solo album. And I think Greg Hawks worked with him quite a bit on it. But, uh, and some of the other guys did chip in as well, because that's kind of just what you do. But I feel like all of a sudden it's like, all right, maybe they fulfilled their electric contract uh, and they wanted to move on to do something new afterwards. I don't know. I mean, Heartbeat City's on Electra, or was it Electra who said, we got to get Mutt Lang in here? Or was it the cars who like, we need to move on? Um, even though we've had some good success, we need to try something new. And we need to go back to London, to Battery Studios, which was also Morgan Studios, or, or Morgan Sound Studios, which is, you know, amazing. I mean, part of Led Zeppelin II was recorded there, man. And, and mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's first album, and Metal by Pink Floyd, Anticipation by Carly, who just got in the Rock and Roll fame. Hall of Fame, I Love You Carly. America's first album was there. Rick Wakeman, Lou Reed, Rod Stewart. I mean, a lot of people have uh, Billion Dollar Babies, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Big time records were recorded there over the years. UFO worked there. Sad Wings of Destiny. Peter Gabriel's first record. I mean, craziness, right? So maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe you think, let's recreate some of this magic here. It's not working out exactly the way that we want to. So you go back over there. The other, the, the other thing that's also kind of a, I don't want to say dangerous, but weird situation is when you have one guy who's writing the bulk of the music because at some point in time, somebody's going to talk in his other ear, you know, you don't need these guys. Right. You're the you're the creative genius here. You write all the songs. You sing most of the songs. Come on now. That solo record was his, you know, hey, maybe I don't need these guys anymore. Maybe I can go out on my own. And then it doesn't do so well. And then you're like, no, 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 just kidding, just kidding. That was a that was a, a fun side project for me. That was really nothing thing. Let's get back together, guys. Right, right. And maybe, you know, Mutt Lang was, okay, well, we needed we need a new producer. We need to up the game or something like that. And Mutt Lang's like, all right, well, you got to come over here. I'm not working in America. You got to come to London. And that's why they went to Battery. Right. Well, and with his track record, of course, you know, well, forget it. We're not going to, you're going to do whatever, he, whatever exactly. he says to do. Correct. We're on the next plane over there. And for those of you who don't know, now you know. No, <laughs> for those of you who don't know what John Robert Mutt Lang has, has produced over the years, basically starting in the late 70s, he couldn't miss. He did Boomtown Rats, he did Highway to Hell, and Back in Black for ACDC. Then 404, which was huge, as Jackson mentioned, High, uh, high and Dry, Pyromania, and Hysteria. It's funny, he was supposed to start working on Hysteria, or the Death Lover wanted him to work on Hysteria with him in 1984, 1985, but he couldn't because he was too busy with the cars on Heartbeat City. However, due to sure. some unforeseen circumstances, eventually he did have time to work with them on Hysteria. But you do Back in Black, man. I mean, that's like the second selling, second highest selling album of all time. Not to mention his eventually wife, Shania Twain. Right. I, I don't, you know, The Woman in Me, is that the one? Or you know, Come that's On the- Over. 
Come on over is the one. It's the ninth best selling album of all. It's like the number one country female album of all time. Number one country album of all time. Number nine all time. So he's in the top ten twice of all time. Not to mention the diamond selling Def Leppard records. I mean, the guy has the magic touch. And I think on those Shania Twain records, he's also credited with writing all the stuff too, or at least co-writes. So yeah, that didn't hurt too badly to as he is with Def Leppard he co-wrote most yeah. all those songs with heart with I mean he is unpoor uh, and, and lives in Switzerland <laughs> you know it's incredible <laughs> incredible career for John Robert Mutt Lang but you know back to uh, back to Heartbeat City here so it's kind of like alright well let's just his formula we're going to take every single song and we're going to make it a, a big deal or whatever. Well, that's where uh, you were talking about the the Rock of Ages that we watched uh, with Neil and talked to him about it. That was the first time, and I think we all agreed, we'd ever seen a real interview with Mutt Lang. Mm-hmm. And what, what stuck out to me there and is sticking out to me now is his comment about, don't fall in love with what you wrote. You know, you bring it mm-hmm. in and we are going to pound the ever-living crap out of this. Right. So yeah, he polishes it to a diamond finish. I wonder how that, you know, for for Okasik, he comes in with these songs. You know, is it like, well, okay, good start, but what do you mean good start? These things are done. No, they're not. Let's get to work on them. That's right. No, no, you're absolutely right. But I think the fact that they did have a good band who was honed, and they're a little older. I mean, I think Rick Okasik was like 40 in 1984, something like that, you know. Older than your average. I mean, think in 1984, no one in Duran Duran was 25, right? Right. Even the guys in Asia weren't even close to 40 yet, right? You know, and they're grown-up rock stars at that point. So, yeah, I mean, he he was a little older, so he'd been around the band, and he could, I think he could stomach working with people. And so Benjamin Orr bass, who was also the, the other lead vocalist, like on Drive and things like that, Elliot mm-hmm. Easton on guitar, Greg Hawks on the keys, and I always forget his name because there's someone with a more famous name than him, and that's David Robinson on the drums. Not San Antonio Spurs legend. David no, Robinson. no, no. Um, the, what, the, the interesting thing about this, we were talking about Rick Ocasek writing all of the music. Robinson was the art director for all the stuff. which he did I think, all the covers and stuff. Yeah, which I think was... I mean, it's it's interesting because usually if you've got somebody like Okasek, they're doing everything. Like it's their band. They're the creator. So to have right? him, yeah, yeah. So to have him do the art direction, that's an interesting. It makes it more of a band dynamic because you've got somebody who's going to. I mean, that's a big deal. The cover is a big deal, and True. to have him do that is it's it's just an interesting dynamic. No, no, you're right. You know, and this cover uh, was cool. You know, it's a, it's a piece by. An artist called Peter Phillips called Automatic Loop de Loop, where they have a, you know, they've got a, is it a charger? No, it's a duster, an old duster, you know, a beautiful girl doing a flip that kind of matches the, the same style of Candy O, right? Anyway, yes, in 1984, as a young person, what is cooler than cool cars and pinup girls on yep. an album cover? There's nothing. It's great. No, you're absolutely right, you know, and it fit in with the time, like you could see Rio which was just a little bit older than this. And then you would see yeah. this and you're like, yep, those two fit together in the same genre. They were made about the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so they, they go into London with all these Rick Ocasek penned tracks and they, they got to work. And yeah, I mean, there's 10 tracks on the record. I had the cassette. Did you ever have this growing up? I had it on cassette. I, I had it somehow. Yeah, I think it was cassette, but it was like a it was like a bootleg cassette. Like mm-hmm. I, somebody had it on, on a record or something or a cassette and I copied it off of that. But I definitely had this in my arsenal. This was um, 
this was our first introduction to the cars right well mine anyway and this was another one of those records like we talked about before 90125 at genesis and i would even put david bowie's let's dance in there if you grew up in the early hey, you 80s, mean 90125 came... uh for yes correct yeah what did genesis i say 90210 well you, you, said, no, you uh, said 90125 and then you said genesis i'm like just want to make sure you weren't telling right, people right, that 90125 right. was Genesis. Correct. 90125 was from, yes. But those records, if you got into it, it, I know a lot of people were not super excited about this record, Cars fans, because it was it was really electronic. Mm-hmm. But for me, this was my first introduction. So the, I will always love this. And, and then you know I, I took this and worked it backwards and listened to the rest of the Cars catalog. Right, right. And you know, when you're, we're in, we're getting into the cars at this point because we're, A, we're 10, 11 years old and we're yeah. starting to get into popular music and this is the Cars album that comes out. But B, you really cannot tell the story of the cars and certainly not this record without talking about MTV, okay? Because these Correct. videos, the thing is they made six of them. I really only ever saw three, but the three you saw were all over MTV and the You Might Think video, which was their first single, released in February 84, before this thing came out in March of 84, that video with the digital cuts and everything and the model and the, you know, him as the fly buzzing around and the guys jamming on a bar of soap in the bathtub. <laughs> and at the time, it was cutting edge, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what computer graphics could be. And uh, they, they were, it was interesting, too, because, I mean, let's be honest with each other. Rick Ocasich is not the most handsome leading man. He's he's a he's just an interesting person to look at. And he's so, kind of a weirdo. Yeah. And and so this was one of those this is one of those bands that they the only reason that they could do this was because they had a they had some heat behind them. If this mm-hmm. was new, if this was a new band, I don't think they ever would have made these videos or anything like that because he's just you know, it's like those journey videos where they're all just kind of standing there on stage. Right. Like, you know, the new journey was, but there was nothing really that exciting about it. This was, but they, but they were one that really embraced the whole concept video too. They did. They, they sure did. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, two, two things about that. I mean, yeah, first of all, I read that, you know, they spent three times the typical budget of a video back then on this, which was $80,000, which is, you know, it's, it's no small chunk of change, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, the estranged video by Guns N' Roses, which maybe cost like $10 million and wasn't even that great of a song, you know? <laughs> You know, it's like $80,000, we usually paid, spend $25,000. This is nuts, you know. But that that video work and, and that computer graphic stuff, that was expensive. We could do something better on our phones in a day now. But back then, sure. you needed a bunch of computers to make that happen, right? <laughs> Not easy to do. But yeah, six singles off a 10-track yeah. record, dude. And, and that's very mutt lang, right? Well, the other thing too is I was looking at, at at you might think you said that was the first single released in February of 1984. The last single was Heartbeat City, re- released September 1985. Yeah. So this thing just kept they just kept putting singles out. Like as soon as you kind of started to forget about one, here's another one, and then the sales would go up. So to have it not only be that big, but go on for that long is is pretty incredible also yeah and there's no real i mean i had the cassette and sometimes the cassettes you would fast forward through stuff or you would click to the end so you get the start of the second side because they might have a hit on there but really this one you could listen to back and forth without Mm. skipping anything 
Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. If we start to walk through it a little bit here, you start off with hello again, which is, you know, an interesting way to start a record. Hey, we're back, you know, hello, hello again. But you can already hear, God, this thing is super polished and it's got a lot of program stuff in it, right? I mean, this is very of the times. Yeah, and and I, I was thinking about this too. I don't think there's one of those. The harmonies on Pyromania are not really like this. This was going to show up a lot more on Hysteria. Mm. That that if you didn't know any better, you could almost swear it was Def Leppard just from that first "Hello, Hello Again." But then, yeah, if you were a a hardcore Cars fan, you're not going to like this one because this is all electronic. I yeah. love it, but. But I could see how you would be upset. Yeah, if if you came in with uh, my best friend's girl and 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 you're mm-hmm. you know you like the rocking sound, but but they're new wave rock. I mean, how would you classify them? I would call them new wave rock and roll. I, I wouldn't call them rock and roll without the new wave, though. Right, right. I think they were they were part of the new wave, but they were also kind of. It almost seems like they were their own thing because then you could also say they were a little bit rockabilly too. Maybe they were yeah. from that. So it, I don't know. We always have to label everything in the music industry but if that if you had to yeah that was that would be the closest would be new wave yeah i I think you're right so yeah it's it's a fun song it it was left off the greatest hits but it probably shouldn't have been you can only put so many songs on there so right can't you can't just put them all in there but i i thought it it probably should have been on there i'd never seen the video before because it was directed by andy warhol so you know andy's gonna put Mm. some freaky sexual stuff in there and (laughs) stuff that wasn't gonna play in the Midwest in 1984, you know, so <laughs> it was a little racy in spots, and you know, it had, had some uh, kind of people who hung out with Andy Warhol, which would have freaked us out at 10, 11 years old. We're like, what is that? If you look quickly and closely, you can see a very young Gina Gershon in there. And I it, did not. I I read about that, and then I had to go back and look because yes, hello, uh, Gina Gershon. I'm a fan. Yes, yes. Um, if you're out there listening, yes. Big fan. <laughs> so yeah. So I. But they wouldn't. I mean, they wouldn't have played that on MTV during the day if they no. did it all. I mean, if they did it all, they would have done it like two in the morning or something like that. But I, I never saw that video before. But a good way to start off a record. It did well. It hit, real, hit the charts. Yeah, real statement. You know, like you said, hello again, and then bam, right into it. It was their fourth single that was released in October of '84. So okay, starting off strong with a single, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was their fourth single. Then you go into looking for love which is a pop ballad it's a song for girls is what i would have mm-hmm. said back in the day but it's got a good beat to it it's got that mutt lang signature backing vocals 
looking for love, you know? Yeah. And, and then at this point, soft, at this point in time, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're doing. Cause I'm like, I can hear guitar, but is that really a guitar or is that part? Is that synth? Right. I know there was a, there was a deal about Robinson being kind of disenfranchised by this record because there aren't a whole there's drums on it but not a whole lot that he played so i don't know it's hard to kind of pick out is that really the person playing or is that a program from what lang right and what and no i mean to give him credit like fairlight programming by david robinson for the drums and fairlight programming by greg hawks for the keyboard so they program their own stuff but I, it was something I always thought as I, as a young man, I thought, wow, these are cool sounds that they make, but can they reproduce this live? You know, I mean, I know the who, you know, listen to Bob O'Reilly. Well, no, that's programmed. I mean, Pete may have done it back in the day, but that's programmed. So you can put programming in and then play with it, but can they pull it off? I don't know. I, I just know looking for love. It's a sweet, nice song. But it, it's easy listening, like adult yeah. contemporary kind of stuff. That's not really a rock song, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah, and and the, if you listen hard enough to to a lot of these songs, there's there's stuff in the background too, like like little sound effects that are firing off. And right, I saw an interview with Hawks, and he said he just loved. He just loved anything like that. He wanted something no one else had. Like mm-hmm. if you can come up with a little gadget or whatever, send it to me. I'll use it. So this was like before, like you know, you couldn't have a, a laptop and and do this. You had to have little deals mm-hmm. and so right. they were saying at live aid it was it was really hot or something i think especially on the stage and he was like the things were going off all the time like i couldn't make them <laughs> stop so like it didn't have anything to do with and so yeah everybody else is like what are you doing back there he's like i don't know what i'm doing they're just this is a handmade thing that somebody sent me and i don't know why it's not working my goodness poor guy uh, i know i did get to rewatch a lot of that live aid and yes yeah, some some of it was a little off you know, which is, you know, you got to figure it's got to happen on a day like that. But you're trying yeah. to parade 30 different bands across or whatever it was. But, you know, again, so there's something for the guys and the girls. There's rockers, there's sweet kind of soft songs, you know. And then we get to the third song, Magic. To me, this is the song. As big as you might think is and as big as the video is, to me, this song, Magic, in the summer of 84, it was a good rival to Panama. Like, Panama was when you're rocking with your boys, right? Yeah. But, but Magic was like you could be at a party with the girls and the boys, like, mingling and having fun, and everyone liked this song. And, and it seemed like, too, you know, you say party. Do you Did you think of party, or do you remember the video where they're having this giant party? So now it's like the two things are coming together, like the video is influencing how you think about this. I always thought it was weird that apparently Rick Ocasek is hosting a pool party. He's the whitest person on the face of the earth. He's wearing a suit out by the pool, but... Hey, okay, whatever, it'll work. You can see in the first like minute of the video when he's walking around the pool or whatever that he's squinting because he's not used yeah. to being. You, I mean, you always see him with his shades on, right? What What is this thing in the sky? It's called yeah. the sun, Rick. I know. Well, I gotta stay out of it, you know. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I, I, for me, this is one of those songs like every little thing she does is magic. When you hear it, it just automatically puts you in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah, and it, 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 you're right. I think this. I think this is probably the signature song. Yeah, again for me on this one because it, it, you're right. It came out. When did it come out? It's like May. Uh, yeah, so right into the summer. And you're right. This was on every every third loop to every third hour. I'm telling you, yes. Yeah. June and July, you saw it all the time. Not to mention, you might think was still always in the loop because right. it was such an innovative video. So they played it every day at some point. Yeah. And now we've got a new one. And I got to tell you, that effect when he's walking on the pool, 
Yeah. It blew my mind in 1984. I'm like, oh my God, how is he? doing that that's unbelievable and especially too because so you think okay wait a minute wait a minute the pool is only like you know a couple inches deep i know how they're doing it. but then at the end people start jumping in and you can see that it's not it's a real pool so you're like oh, what in the world yeah i know Dude, <laughs> i never knew in researching for this the first time they shot it it broke you know and he fell through and they had to readjust it for rick's weight i'm like what do you mean readjust it for rick's weight he doesn't weigh 170 pounds i mean you it wasn't safe for like 170 pounds are you kidding me what would happen if i would have walked on it whole thing would have shattered you know but another interesting tidbit is that the Hilton family's Hollywood house that oh. they, they rented to the cars to do that shoot. So you can imagine okay. what filthiness has occurred there over the years. Yeah, that, yeah that, that video was probably the tamest thing that happened there. Exactly. But it was weird. I mean, it wasn't just like there was a pool party and then you saw a bunch of people there. You saw a couple of fangirls. And then you saw a couple of people dressed like they were Jesus and Mary. And then you saw a couple of, you know, like, socias, you know, from, like, the outsiders. And then you saw a couple of, or a couple of circus creatures or something. I don't know. It's a bunch of <laughs> random, random weirdos, you know, and some fangirls. And they all start jumping in the pool, like, loving on Rick. But I got to well, tell I think, you. I was going to say, I think perhaps John McClane said it best when he got off the plane. California. <laughs> right. Now, everyone talks about how weird Rick Ocasek looks and how he's kind of an oddball. Yes. And I get it. I'm not going to say you're wrong about that. And, but... You have to understand, he's this skinny, white, pasty, pale guy with dark black hair and blue eyes. That's exactly who I was in 1984, okay? <laughs> skinny, tall, pasty, couldn't get a suntan for anything, blue eyes, jet black hair like Superman. So when I saw him, I'm like, I don't know, it was like attracted to him. Like It's like, God, I could be that, because like yeah. when I see David Lee Roth... I'm like, I, I could never be that, dude. He's got a lion mane of blonde hair. He's ripped. He can do these kicks. He's tan. I'm like, he had muscles. I'm like, that ain't me. You know, like that, that's something I'll never be. Well, and it's nice that this happened kind of in the early days of MTV because you're right. You know, fast forward probably five or six years, people like this really couldn't get on. They were, they were just looking for the, the Duran Duran types. Right, he would have had to, you know, tune down and, and gone on 120 minutes or something like that. Right, Rick O'Kay, He's you know? <laughs> But no, I, I still, to this day, I, I think it's an amazing song. The video for the summer of 1984 was perfect, and they cleaned up at the the like the VMAs or whatever it was for for MTV. You know, one big time for for you might think, and yeah. They deserved it. Now, still on side one. Okay, we're only three songs into the five song five one. The next one is Drive, which is Correct. huge around the world. Like mm -hmm. you want to, you which rock band songs do the best? It's always the ballads. Like people remember the rockers because they're fun, but the ones who sell the best and go the highest up the charts are always the ballads. And this is no different. Yeah, and I this is this is where I. Unfortunately, both Okasik and Orr are now passed away, but I would love to know what his process was. Did he write this song for Orr, or 
did he write it? And then do they try it out? And this, eh, nah, you take this one because this is a real nice change of pace. You had three okay six. Mm-hmm. Now you throw in or some of the delivery is the same, but some of it isn't. It's just a really nice change up with his voice coming in on this song. Well, I, I got to tell you, he's the better singer of the two. I don't really know if that's debatable. He is. I mean, yeah, right? He, it's he, pretty obvious. Well, we, he's got a rich voice. He holds the notes well. Okay. So I knew we were going to come to this. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking, it's like ZZ Top. Okay. If you listen to, if you listen to like Dusty Hill songs, mm-hmm. he's got a better voice. Yeah. But Billy Gibbons has the ZZ Top voice. Right. I think the same is true for this. Rick Ocasek, he, he can't sing. He can't outsing or, but, but the stuff that he does his voice fits perfectly. He sings well. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's right. That, that's true. Yeah. So you're right about that. But yeah, I mean, it's a complicated relationship between Rick and Benjamin Orr. Like they were good buddies mm-hmm. who eventually, throughout the lifetime of the cars, eventually kind of grew to dislike each other. You know, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is because you can see how this formula really works well because you're right. I mean, you had... This was, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this was the big hit, right? Was Drive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Top, and, top and 10, just, top five around the world. And so how do you, if you're, if you're O'Casing, how do you, unless, unless you wrote this for him, how does that make you feel? Like, I wrote all these songs. I sing most of these songs, but the one that I don't is huge. And, you know, even on going all the way back to the first one, Just What I Needed, that's written by Ocasek, sung by Orr, mm-hmm. huge hit. Well, yeah. And then, but then, you know, you look at it, the beginning of the cars, they were kind of half and half or so, you know, and, right. and I think before they got signed, Rick Ocasek didn't really want to sing at all. Like, he's like, Benji, mm-hmm. you can sing them all as far as I'm concerned. And then he started to figure out, all right, well, I got to step in to, to do some of these songs for myself. But this is only yeah. one of two Orr songs on the 10 tracks on the record. You know, so over time it did whittle down. So then he's like, okay, well, if I'm going to give Ben a song, which ones am I going to give him? This is an amazing one to give him, right? Yes. Yeah. And and it fits perfectly. You're right. He can, because Ocasek doesn't really, he doesn't really sing. Like he did, like he, right. He, he, he kind of speaks have, his truth. Yeah, exactly. Where, where Orr can really belt it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but see, once again, but see, he still wins because you say, oh, well, then Ben is the singer on this huge worldwide hit. But then in the video, Ben's got to be busy singing the song. Whereas Rick can go be the guy fighting with the model they chose for the video, which just yeah. happened to be an 18 year old. Paulina Poroskova. And if we can just stop there for a minute, um, speaking of Paulina Poroskova, she recently posted a photograph of herself in uh, some swimwear with the tag old and ugly. Mm-hmm. You picked up on that. Yep. But let me tell you, folks, if that's old and ugly, sign me up because Absolutely. holy Christmas, that's uh, that's outstanding. And she's never had any like Botox or filler or any of that stuff. No. She's still absolutely gorgeous. And Rick yes. was married. Rick was married when they met, and he was married for about three or four more years after they met and started dating. Rick Rick has had six sons, two with each of his wives. And like he married his first wife in the 60s, had two kids. In 71, they divorced. And in 71, he got remarried. And then he had two sons with that woman, Suzanne, I think was her name. 
okay so they stayed married till 1988 or something like that and then in 1989 he married paulina uh so he was and then they had two kids right two sons so he was basically always married just to three different people for about 50 <laughs> years and, and we can get a little bit more into that later but no drive was huge huge hit on the radio huge on mtv we all got to see paulina Actually directed by Timothy Hutton. Didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. I'm like, that's interesting. I never knew that Turk 182 was also a uh, also a director. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a contrast also from the other two that we that we saw. It was black and white. Mm-hmm. It was it was more artistic. Stylish. There yeah. were no effects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a that was a different deal. Also, what was the movie he did uh, at the military academy with Sean Penn and Tom Cruise? Taps. Taps. I believe, yes. So who would have thought in Taps, you think Timothy Hutton already has an Oscar for ordinary people. He's working with Sean Penn, and then he starts to direct stuff like, well, Timothy Hutton's the big star. Sean Penn's the guy who played Spicoli. (laughs) Sean Penn's kind of like the multi-generational superstar. And (laughs) Tim's still a good actor. He still looks pretty good. Um, But he's not Sean Penn, um, is he? But I thank you for for directing that video there, uh, Timothy. Um, Proud of you. Then to wrap up side one is Stranger Eyes. Mm -hmm. This is very techno, dude. There's a lot of programming in this. This is, to me, this is where it kind of shows its age a little bit. When I was listening to this, the beginning of this straight up sounds like, what was this, 85? So say 86, 87. Mm -hmm. This is 84. Okay, so, so fast forward to like maybe 85 or 86. The beginning of a cheesy cop show, you know, <laughs> Nightbeat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. The streets of Chicago will never be the same. It's like, oh, this sounds like it. It just sounds very of the time. The beginning of this. Interesting that we're putting another or tune back to back. Yeah, that is. I thought that was interesting too. Like he only gets two, so let's just put them back to back at the end of side one before we get to you might think on the other side, but. I don't know. I think it's got good techno mixed with some ringing guitars. It's not got like big riffs, but it's got some nice ringing guitar in it from Elliot Easton. You know, more Mutlang backing vocals. I mean, that the whole the chorus, Stranger at, that's so yeah. Mutlang. Yeah. It's <laughs> so 1984. It, it's <laughs> unbelievable. But it, but it is nice. It is a nice change of pace from Drive. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of flipping the. It's a little darker. It's a little more of a rocker than they right. had before. It's more upbeat so, than Drive. Yeah, but, but it's but it's also not. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right on right there. Yeah. So and, and an interesting interesting way to kind of wrap up the side because you have a mm-hmm. couple of big hits. You have a, a kind of a, a ballad with Drive, and then I don't. Stranger Eyes. It's mellow though. There's got a kind of a mood to it. They could have played this during a scene on Miami Vice. Yeah, um, absolutely. Maybe you yeah. know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So then we we get to side two here, and you st- and it's the big one. It's the first single that was the huge MTV hit. <laughs> you might think. I, I got to tell you, it's fun, man. It, it, another one. It's it, it, as soon as I start to hear the chords or I start to hear the the piano on it to begin, I'm like, God, this is a good song. This is good times, man. This is. This is life is good song, right? It it takes you right back to. I know it came out a little bit earlier, but I I somehow equate this with the summer of '84. Also, probably because it was still hanging around. But oh yeah. yeah, you're just right back there again. I think this one really highlights Elliot. He I know he doesn't write the songs, so he kind of just puts his part in. But he reminds me a lot of Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. Yeah. He, it's not flashy, but 
dare I say, just what you needed oh, on these songs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's not, it's just, it's just perfect for, you know, exactly when you need a couple of, you know, the, the power chords or the solos are not, they're not flashy, but they, they fit in really well with this. Uh, powerful, but understated. It's, it's very 80s. It, it's very that kind of new wave, you know, meets like, you know, the knack in those people who were not quite up to snuff, but they were of the era. Yeah. It, it's kind of very of that, you know, it's, it's not blowing you away. But it makes sense. Or, you know, go to Mike Campbell in the You Got Lucky song. You know, that guitar part is is very spare, even the solo. But it also fits it perfectly, right? You know, yeah. and it, it's yeah. around the same time as well. So it's like the big blues guitar, you know, air clap, everybody, okay, everybody step back. We're going to take eight yeah. bars for the guitar solo, put the spotlight on him. That had changed. And I think that's okay. You know, that that's part of what made this music, I think, accessible to everybody. Because you see the bands... Maybe you see someone stand out for a while, but it's not like okay, there's just this one dude. Right. It's it's not like the Eddie Van Halen where it's like I could never I could never play that. That's too that's too that's insane. Crazy, this was yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the song. You know exactly what it is. It doesn't sound like anything else. It didn't sound like anything else that was around at that time. I know. And you wanted to see you wanted to see the video because it had all the the cutting edge computer graphics. Yeah. Cutting edge computer graphics. <laughs> You had a beautiful girl, you know, a model who's like in yeah. the tub and, and, you know, in her nightgown and, and stuff like that and looking beautiful and with this weirdo kind of sitting next to her and the band's <laughs> hopping around. sunglasses the entire time. The whole time. And then he, and then he, 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 cur- he basically twisted him and pulled his face off at the end so everybody could <laughs> fall out his face. Look, dude, laugh all you want, but it... For a while, when you know when MTV would do top 100 videos of all time, it was like number one from like 1984 to 1985, and even like 86 and 87, what's like Money for Nothing to come out, and you know, or it was number two. It was like Thriller was one, and then that was two for the longest time. Like it's like this is cutting edge stuff, you know. And for years, it was in the top ten, which is amazing because you think about like pop music is so disposable, and right. there's so many videos. Out there, and it might be great in 1983, but 1986, nobody cares, right? You know, but for the longest time, it did. By the way, did you see that Stranger Eyes was used like in the promos for Top Gun? I, I read that, but I do not remember that from the from that time. No, I I, I don't either. If anyone finds that promo, uh, I would love to see it because it didn't end up in the movie, or at least it didn't end up in the soundtrack. I it may have been in the movie. I'm not a huge Top Gun guy. Uh, you know, it's like oh, jet planes isn't it cool? I'm like no, you know. Plus, I always knew. There was something wrong with Tom Cruise. I just couldn't put my finger on it. However, uh, there's nothing wrong with Val Kilmer. Love him. Well, I mean, except yes. he can't really talk anymore, I don't think. But well, I'm talking about in the movie. Love, yes, love I Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yes. But Real Genius was his greatest work, let's face it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no. So you might think, amazing song. Again, it's, you know, it, it's of a time, but it, I don't know. It's When I hear it, I, it puts a smile on my face. I'm like, oh, I know this one, man. You yeah. Know? All right. So they move on to It's Not the Night, which, I mean, Benjamin Orr sings some of the lead on this, right? Do they go back and forth a little bit on they this? Go, yeah, they go back and forth. And this is the one, this is the one to me that really proves that that or is the better singer he's got the more powerful voice mm-hmm. and it yeah this it, it, we're we're darker on this one the, it's the all synth at the beginning and then the guitars come in after that so you right. kind of if you're thinking oh this is going to be an all synth deal it, it turns out it mellows out a little bit yeah the, the program bit at the beginning is very of the time to me like mm-hmm. that just screams like 1984 early 80s or whatever but it, it's it's more rocking than say stranger eyes which i like 
Right. And it's it's more rocking than the next one, Why Can't I Have You, which is pretty much a ballad, you know, for, for the right. most part, you know. It actually made the charts, even though it was never released as a single. Um, huh. Because I know they had one or two singles that maybe didn't make the charts, but this one did because radio stations like to play it. And I also think that there was maybe a bit of a surge for Ben Orr. It's like, you know, the drive was huge, right? Drive was huge. But then Stranger Eyes is kind of, I'm not going to say like it, but it's, it's too soft adult contemporary anyway. But then, you know, It's Not the Night is a little bit more rocket. So maybe like mm-hmm. the, the rock fans who like Ben Orr's voice, like this is the one you ought to, you ought to play, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that, I'm sure there were probably fans in, you know, in both camps. Like I only, not that I only like the Orr songs, but I, I like those better. Those mm-hmm. are mine. So yeah, maybe that's why they gravitated toward that. Maybe so. Maybe so. But I like it. It's a good one. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not one I would ever skip. It definitely picks up once, once the guitar is coming, like, cause at the beginning you're like, eh. I don't know about this. And then, you know, the guitar comes in, makes it a little heavier. Okay, here we go. Right. Let's rock out a little bit. Absolutely. No, it's a good one. It's a good one. And then the next, the third song, or the eighth song overall, third song on the second side, Why Can't I Have You? I don't really remember this one, Jackson. I, I mean, I do you? Because this was the fifth single in January of 85, so now we're already like through a whole year, basically, of this yeah. song. No, I, I don't remember this one being on the radio. I, I don't either. And I saw the video, and I, I, I don't remember it well. I know that. It, it's not something I saw a lot. It's not like something I remember. But maybe I saw it back in the day. I, I just don't remember it that well it, it is basically a rick ballad it's kind of a stylistic video where the boys are sitting together playing their instruments kind of in this white room and then there's a black room in front of them and they're just kind of it's like there's a cutout circle that almost looks like something out of star wars you know it's like they're through this okay. wall this this big oval and then on the other side there's this beautiful dancer who's like in sick shape, like, you know, could have been the girl who stood in for Jess or Jennifer Beals rather in Flashdance. Like she was amazingly hot. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I liked it, but it, was there a little keyboard speak on this? A la like what Peter Frampton and Jeff Beck and Jill Walsh used to do with the guitar. That's that's what it sounded like. Yeah, it's it's something like that. It it's it, like I said, it's hard without actually seeing what they were doing in the production studio to know right. what's what's what anymore with Mutt Lang. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on this thing. They're, they they <laughs> use a lot of different. I mean, for lack of a better word, a lot of gadgets, a lot of toys. A lot of little things, programming things in here uh, that they're using. The girl was so foxy, um, the dancer they used. (laughs) This was the only single that was backed with a non-album B-side called Breakaway. Have you ever heard Breakaway before? No, I have not. Neither had I. I don't think anyone had, and I listened to it. (laughs) I'd never heard it before. It it, it was funny because it kind of sounds like it's at the time like, this could be a Simple mind song with lousy vocals, is the way I look at it. <laughs> you know, because Rick, again, he's not really singing. He's kind of talking through it. There's right. no none of that kind of like back-up vocals that kind of shape the whole album. There's none of that on it. It's kind of like something they might use in an 80s movie montage where you have to, mm-hmm. where you have to move the story along or show them restoring the boat and getting it ready for the big race or whatever, <laughs> like... That's the kind of thing. It's it's got odd guitar work from Elliot in it. I mean, look, it's it's a B side. It it didn't really fit. It kind of fit the time, but it didn't fit the rest of the record. But yeah, all, all the rest of them had either like live versions of previous hits, or they just used the other songs on the album that weren't released as singles. And sometimes they even used 
the other singles, you know, so they, <laughs> they, like they here it is again. Yeah. They, or they had a dance remix, I think of, uh, of the first one of hello again. Uh, mm. so, but I always thought maybe is this a preview to Rick's huge solo hit emotion in motion? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's along the same lines. It's yeah. that song's a little more dressed up, but it's, it's kind of along the same lines. It, yeah, it could be. And I, I remember when that came out and I thought it was, if you didn't know any better, which it, when it's on the radio, you don't, I thought that was a car song. Yeah, of course we all did. Yeah, you know? yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. Now the ninth song I refuse, if, if you got to pick one song they had to ditch, I mean, look, if Breakaway had made the album, it would have been Breakaway. But uh, <laughs> the weakest track on here is I Refuse. It's, it's barely over three minutes. It was used as a B-side like three times. Like three of the songs have I Refuse as their B-side or something <laughs> like that. You know, so they, they never believed in this song. So, I mean, look, it fits the record, but, and it's not bad. It's just, it's. 10 out of the 10. Yeah, and, and it's tough on something like this where you have so many hits that there's there's going to be one that lets you down and it's not a surprise why this is the number nine track. Right, no, absolutely. So we won't spend too much time on it. But then they wrap it up with the title track, Heartbeat City. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this is a cool way to end the record, man. Yeah. It, it's interesting that the title track is the one on the end. We've got, it, it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's, it's like a, a nice mellow, like send off. There you go. You had, it is. There's big stuff on here. Yeah. It's, it, this was a single. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, just a nice way to end the record. Yeah. And it's a little, dare I use the P word, proggy. Uh oh. Oh um, boy. You know, oh boy. I mean, I know. Look, none of these songs are over four and a half minutes. This is the longest song on the album by a nose. So, and at this time, even people like Yes and Genesis, who made their bones with long, proggy songs, they weren't making songs like that anymore. Or, you know, they made right. one an album and it was buried on the second side. You know, so that wasn't going to be it. But I, I felt like if there was any song on this album that they could stretch out, and they could do like a six or seven minute version of it, this would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it, it fits in. It is it, it, the synth at the beginning sounds a little, it, it's, it's interesting to me. It's not, it's of the time, but if you listen to it, you can hear the other stuff that's in there. They're just kind of like peppering other sound effects mm-hmm. in there. So it's kind of, it's a cool one to listen to with headphones too. Cause you can hear, you know, right and left what they're doing. I mean, I, I would have loved to have, I don't know if they've got any footage of Mudlang in the studio doing this, but it would be really cool to watch him work and see how all the things get put together to make the final song. I totally agree. Yeah, because this is kind of a little bit of a masterpiece, you know? And the thing is, I never saw this video either before doing research for this. Part of the reason was it was not released as a single in America, right? And if they don't Mm -hmm. release it for the radio, they're not going to play the video on on MTV. So I don't think we ever saw it. I think they used it as a tool to market it abroad and market it in, in England. But also, it came way afterwards, right? So... Yeah, it's the sixth single. The fifth one was released in January of 85. Well, Heartbeat City came in September of 85. I mean, that's that's way later. I mean, that's, you know, that's nine months later, eight months later, whatever kind of thing. But also, Rick had, was already starting to kind of move on to work on his his solo album, This Side of Paradise, which we can get into here a little bit in a minute. But so, yeah, so then they wrap that up, Heartbeat City. It was backed with Why Can't I Have You, the fifth single. And again, mostly outside, basically outside of America. But but I love that song. And again, it's a great way to wrap up the record. I mean, it's not even 40 minutes 10 songs, no fat on there. And, yeah. you know, back in the back in the high life again, as far as, you know, 
another four or five million seller in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I think they accomplished exactly what they wanted to. They they wanted to get back to being a super relevant band, you know, album sales wise singles wise and they definitely did it on this one i could see how you if you were looking for more of the rock and roll you know new wave this was not it i know that a lot of people have a problem with mutt lang because he quote unquote overproduces things but i you can't you can't argue with success no that's for sure and the video showed what was their stage and their stage show was kind of amazing that had all these tvs and had this real tall thing built there i'm like god that that looks like it would have been a killer show but you know they're they're not really any live cars dvds or, or albums out there they, they eventually yeah. did one in 2006 which i think was from door to door which came out in 87 but the quality was bad but i looked at setlist.fm for the setlist from the 84 tour and it was amazing i'm like oh Oh my god i didn't die to see them on that tour especially if they were pretty good live if they could reproduce it and then when i saw that stage for the heartbeat city video i'm like oh man that would have been killer to see in 84 man are you kidding me why isn't there anything of it i looked around there's something from texas like they filmed at the summit it looks like it was made for tv kind okay. of thing. You know, like maybe, you know, a cable channel like Showtime said, we're going to give you an hour of the cars live in Houston, you know, where they cut about half of the show together. And you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty high quality. And you see that stage you're like, God, this is it. This is cool. But there's nothing else available. And that kind of makes me sad because that's, you know, it doesn't tarnish their legacy, but it makes it harder to, to continue the legacy without that. Right. And the other thing I was looking for, too, some kind of documentary or something about this record because i know there are like you know classic album right i couldn't find anything and i know if, it, if there's one that you could have everybody talking about including mud this would be the one but i could like i said i looked all over i couldn't find anything on this well no you know that's the thing. and you know, i guess i mean rick kind of he did make some solo records he went on to produce a lot of bands like Weezer and kind of I think wanted to not be on the road and, and not be on the stage wanted to be behind the scenes because he gets all of the writer money right he gets all the royalties from the song right. so he doesn't have to go out and do anything but also during these sessions they wrote Tonight She Comes which was you know a hit off of the Cars Greatest Hits album, which which I had, and you know we we listened to once in a while in college, <laughs> but you know yeah it was released and and hit you know number one mainstream rock and top ten Billboard, and you know they made a video for it because that was the thing you couldn't just release a Greatest Hits album you had to have Greatest Hits plus a couple right. of songs right so that was kind of the the new one quote unquote and and a hit for them and helped propel that one because. So that's that's 1985. That's six times platinum in the U.S. So in '84 they had four times four X platinum with original stuff. The next year it's six X. Not to mention all the sales around the world. So yeah, right when they're releasing Heartbeat City in the rest of the world, they're breaking out the greatest hits album with uh, Tonight She Comes in America. So they're riding pretty high right here. Right. And that, that would lead you to think, you know, you're just talking about writing money. You know, Okasik is now in a position where he's, eh, yeah, maybe I can take a step back because, I mean, yeah, touring is is tough. Being out on the road, 
you know, now you, you're going to have a very young wife yes. to, uh, you know, be at home with. So I'm sure that was part of it. But yeah, it's a grind being out there and, and moving from town to town. And I, that was really before the days of, you know, everybody flying private jets. So you're still on a bus or something driving all over the United States and Europe and everything else. So yeah, I could see how, and, and you know, you kind of get the the if the times are a changing as far as like what they're looking for in a band. You know, now you're not the pretty boy band. So yeah, maybe I will just take a step back and work behind the scenes. Well, except you know, here's the thing. You know, uh, so then yeah, the the second new song off the greatest hits, I'm not the one that comes out in 1986. Then later in 1986, Rick releases his second solo album, This Side of Paradise, mm -hmm. which is actually a pretty big hit. doesn't sell into the multi-millions or anything, but it does have the, the big hit, Emotion in Motion, mm -hmm. which it had a big video on it. Uh, True to You was another one, but he, you know, he got all sorts of people to play on this thing. This wasn't just like, well, I'll get Greg Hawks to do some keyboards. Maybe Ben could do some backup vocals. No, he got Steve Stevens to... To play all over it, he got Roland Olabobble from uh, from Tears for Fears, Tears for Fears. you know, yeah. to, to play when, on when it. Did that, do you have that in front of you? When did that come out? September 1986. Okay, because October 6th, 1986, comes the lace from Ben Orr. So now we've got two competing Cars solo records, and that's when you say, "Oh, I think maybe we've got some." A change in uh, in the weather here if they're both putting out solo records. Well, yeah, because usually because a lot of times like if one person puts out a solo record that's kind of like a oh uh, you know I'm just going to take a little step out. If two of them now you can see there's probably something going on here. Yeah, and, and Ben probably wanted to write more. He, his girlfriend was a writer and he used to say, hey, why, or his wife, he goes, why, why don't you take some of her stuff? And Rico Case goes, because she's not in the cars, then it won't be the cars, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know. So, but Rick was on Geffen, right? So you get that Geffen machine behind you in the 80s, uh -huh. get you the stylish video and push it out there. And, and he did very well with it. So now he's like, okay, now my band had about their biggest album, certainly the biggest since the first. Then our greatest hits album is huge, and it's got big singles around it. Now my solo album, not only does it well, it does way better than Ben's, despite Ben <laughs> saying he's the better singer. It does way better than Ben's. So then he's like, okay, now when we do the next Cars album, Door to Door in 1987, I'm going to be the producer. And I'm going to write all the songs. Although I think he mm -hmm. he co-wrote the one "You Are the Girl." No, no, he wrote that. It's just or sang it with him. It's not a good. It's not a good record. I mean, like the time had passed. And the thing is, they retread a few things from like back from '77 or '78. You know, stuff that they had worked on back in the day. And then like, oh, we can clean that up. I have a feeling yeah. that after like writing everything that was so huge on Heartbeat City writing the tracks for the greatest hits album, then doing his own solo album. I feel like the cupboard was a little bit bare by the time they got to door to door. The other problem is too, or other issue is if you went back and looked at every album that was, you know, written, produced by the same person or persons, it's just, it's not going to work. You've got to have somebody in the control booth that says that yeah. I, that's not good. It's not good. Play it again. This isn't what, this isn't what you want. You can only take it so far without having somebody else come in there. Like if it's produced by Rick Ocasek and somebody fine. else, okay, fine. At least you've got that. But if he's doing everything, it's, it's just not going, you have to have that person saying that's, that's not right. a good idea. Yeah. Leave that. And song. Mutt Lang couldn't work with them because now he was working with Def Leppard on Hysteria. So Funny how that worked out. Couldn't work with Def Leppard on Hysteria because he was busy with the cars. 
that he couldn't work with the yeah. cars because he's busy with Def Leppard on his stereo. So it all kind of comes full circle. But at that point, then it is over. The cars are over. The time had passed. Music had changed. The 80s were more about hard rock and what people kind of pejoratively call hair mm -hmm. bands or that kind of thing. But but hard rock was in and alternative music like R.E.M. and that kind of stuff, that was in. And the Cars kind of pseudo new wave techno stuff, that was on the way out. So Rick Ocasek's like, yeah, I got my money and I can I got a beautiful wife and I'd rather just do that or her uh, than, than tour with these guys. So, so that's it. So that was the end of the Cars, basically. And it probably should have been. Yeah. And I know they, they kind of got back together and did some stuff uh, luckily before or passed away there there's a interview with him with the whole band like right kind of mm -hmm. right before he died and he just looks yeah. awful so the fact that that they kind of i think they had a reconciliation at some point in time makes me happy because you just never know what's going to happen and and to have this catalog of music this band that was a that was a bit, pretty big force in the seventies into the eighties, definitely to have them get back together and play shows for people who never got to hear them the first time is is pretty. I, I like the fact that it, at least it there was a silver yeah, lining. And eventually it. they did a move like this in twenty eleven after Benjamin died because we died in like two thousand. Eventually Rick got back together with the remaining guys in the cars and they not only did some dates but they made this record move like this and. Of course, it shot into the charts, and I think it just kind of quickly went away. It's kind of a nostalgia thing. But I remember when they were touring, and I thought to myself, maybe you should go. Because it's not like they did like an 88 tour and they were going to come to my town. I think they did like 20 or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe I should go. Maybe I should get to New York or get to Boston and go. Because I don't think this is going to happen again. And I really did love the cars back in the day. And this might be my only chance. And of course yeah. it was, and I let it pass. I, I didn't need to travel to go see them without Ben Orr. I mean, who's going to, I mean, Rick saying drive, man, that's, that's, that's not right. It's not going to sound right, you know? So I'm like, nah, you know, right. let's, let's just move on, you know? So that Heartbeat City to me, the first album may have outsold it. But to me, Heartbeat City, thanks to Mutt Lang, thanks to the time, thanks to those music videos. And then the short time afterward, yeah. between Greatest Hits and Rick Ocasek Solo, for a few years there, that was the sound of the mid eighties. Yeah. And, and like we were talking about before, it really is. It, it's an interesting thing because it was about the music. It was before MTV took over as far as being the, the dominant force in propelling people who maybe shouldn't, it mm -hmm. was more looks than music. This was kind of that perfect time where you could have a kind of a quirky band like this have really big and they success. had the look. I mean, you know, Elliot Easton had the hair and those kind of big John Lennon shades on and Greg Hawks, he always had Greg that Hawks. kind of spiky hair and, the, you know, everybody looked the part. I mean, Rico Kasich, spiky black hair, yeah. I mean, he, he always looked the part. A uh, bit of a weirdo, but he fit for the time, you know, and it's not like they weren't talented. They could play. They came up playing Boston and, and playing colleges and tough places. So, I mean, they earned their right to be on the scene, but, uh, you know, it was basically Absolutely. 10 years, 78 to 87 is essentially when they made everything they ever did. Six records, six records in 10 years. And, and hey, it got them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame eventually. And it was cool during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I, it was either that or it was on, he was, they were on like uh, Jay Leno or one of those late night things and they played mm -hmm. Just What I Needed. This was after or had died and people were like, that's not, he didn't, okay, he didn't sing that song. He's singing that yeah. for Ben or stupid. 
it's a tribute. Yep, and he wrote a song, Silver, I think, that ended up yeah. on Move Like This is kind of a tribute to Ben. But yeah, they, they you know, yeah. I don't know if they parted on great terms. It's just kind of sad, the two friends who were in a band making music together, coming up together, and then they had huge success, but they couldn't really enjoy it together. And there was no reunion tour with him. There was no reunion album. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things that it's, it's kind of sad. It's like nobody... Nobody wins, you know? Yeah. Even Paulina doesn't win because they were getting divorced and then Rick just died. But before he died, he changed his will to say, Paulina gets nothing, you know? That's that's weird. That was a long time. That was a long time partnership that I don't know what happened there. I mean, the same thing would you see uh, Dan Aykroyd's getting. Well, I think they're just separating. Technically, they're not divorcing, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't really care either way no, um, right? but, but you're right yeah it's like after 40 years you're ready to break up okay yeah that's fine yeah yeah whatever you want to do yeah well it would yeah what, what is it now that is that's the final straw that is it, that is strange that yeah that was kind of a weird relationship because yeah i guess they had i'm talking about uh <laughs> paulina and rick i guess even though they were married they'd been estranged for a while well, look and- <laughs> Maybe he just wasn't into having a chick around anymore is the only thing I can think of. Because you had Paulina from her (laughs) teens to her 50s, right? She's the most beautiful woman in the world in her teens and 20s and 30s. And in her 40s, she's the most beautiful woman for her age and same with her 50s. And then he's like, all right, I'm Mm -hmm. over this. I'm ready to just kind of be at home. I don't want to go out. I'm 70-whatever years old. You know, I'm ready to be home. I don't want to be out. Let her do that. But, I mean, I th- because they were still married when they were divorced, Paulina got something. But you would have thought she would have yeah. had enough anyway. Just, I mean, the way it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, it, it, I don't know if maybe she came along, like, before the super, super giant contract. $6 million in know. 1985 is a ton of money, which I think is what, like, Estee Lauder or whoever it was she was working for at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and it could have been that Rick was banking all his money and they just lived off of her money. Who knows? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know. Baby, I forgot my wallet. Right, you get this yeah, I, I've so sold millions much. of records. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But allegedly, he also kept two of his kids, two of his sons, maybe from the marriage he really wasn't happy about. He, They were out of the will, too. So it was like four out of his six sons got Ooh. a piece of his estate, wow. but two of them did not. I'm like, oh, geez, man. I don't really want to know what was going on with Rick's <laughs> life, but he looks like a weirdo. Maybe he was a, a, a fucking weirdo, man. I don't know. That's going to make for an uncomfortable yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Half of them are, uh, two of them are way older than us, I think. Two of them maybe be around our age, yeah. and then the, there's Paulina's kids are, are young and beautiful because they look like her, not like him. <laughs> this was one of those records that you kind of it's not that you forget about but it's you know you brought it up and i'm like oh yeah that was a huge huge record i guess the thing is about that time there were so many Mm -hmm. coming out for us that it was you know like oh you know between 1984 and pyromania and you know even thriller was it it wasn't my cup of tea but i mean yeah there was just so much synchronicity come out in 1983 you know i mean it's uh duran duran was making seven in the ragged tiger around that time i mean you know it was that was to me that was our pure pop days man that was before like 86 87 when i started to figure out all right, pop music isn't all that great. I got to get more into rock and roll and stuff that's going to be classic and good to me forever. You know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. There, what you could you could listen to the majority of top forty radio in nineteen eighty three and eighty four and be content with what you heard. Yeah, eighty six, eighty seven. You were moving into. Yeah. Exactly. Let's see what else you know, is I, out there. Even you know, like level forty two. 
had a song, There's Something About You. I'm like, oh, this is kind of jazzy. He's got something cool to it. I'm like, but even then, I'm like, it's poppy. It's a great song. But I'm like, but I'm not going to like this forever. You know, like I'm 12 and I'm like, yeah, right, yeah, I bet when I'm older, this isn't my favorite song. You you wouldn't go to the level right. 42 now, I still records, do love yeah. that song, but I, you know, I don't listen. I don't listen to level 42. <laughs> like I don't, that tape doesn't get played <laughs> anytime. So, uh, yeah. Well, that wraps episode number 77 of The Ugly American Werewolf in London in the Cars, Heartbeat City. If you grew up in the 80s like Action Jackson and I did, and you were a member of the MTV generation, you remember that album. That album was important to you. You couldn't escape it. It was awesome. It was fun. It was of the era. It's kind of an all-time classic in my book. It may not win big awards. It may not get on the top of a lot of people's lists, and certainly even Mutt Lang in his career... It might not make the top five or even top ten albums he's ever worked on, but it does for me. The summer of 1984 with the Cars was memorable. I turned 11 that summer. I was all about playing basketball, riding my bike around the neighborhood, and getting into music, getting into MTV, like Van Halen and the Cars. And if you haven't heard that album in a long time, I highly recommend go give it a listen. You can listen to it straight through. It's not even 40 minutes, and it'll take you back. It'll take you straight back to a time. And if you've never heard it before, I think you'll like it. I mean, unless you hate the 80s, and it definitely sounds like the 80s, but if you like synth new wave rock and roll this is among the best they made in that era so thanks so much for listening guys and as usual we want you to download subscribe wherever you get your podcast be it on apple amazon spotify youtube good pods has been very good to us we're usually in the top 10 history and commentary lists at least on a regular basis maybe not every single day google play anywhere you get your podcast and please if you're thinking about it if you do enjoy the show wherever you listen go out and give us a positive review it just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you and helps us grow the show. Of course, you can always tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. Did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss a point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You've got to let us know. So tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. Once again, there's so many fun things going on on the wolf these days that I'm not even 100% sure what we're going to be doing next week. I think we're going to have a special guest on to talk about one of my favorite all-time English bands, Oasis. But maybe not. (laughs) We'll see. Tune in anyway. And remember, rock and rollers, to all of you all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 